Madness is here. Say goodbye to busted brackets because FanDuel lets you bet on every game of the tournament. Whether you're betting on a big upset or a one seed, it's time to go dancing on America's number one sports book. Right now, new customers get $200 in bonus bets if your first $5 bet wins on FanDuel. That's 200 bucks to use on point spreads, money lines. You can even pick who's going to win it all. Just visit FanDuel.com slash on three and bet on college hoops until they cut down the nets. Must be 21 and older and present in select states. First online real money wager only. $10 first deposit required. Bonus issued as non-withdrawable bonus. Bets that expire seven days after receipt. See terms at sportsbook.fanduel.com. FanDuel is offering online sports wagering in Kansas under an agreement with Kansas Star Casino LLC. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or visit fanduel.com slash RG in Colorado, Iowa, Michigan, New Jersey, Ohio, Pennsylvania, Illinois, Kentucky, Tennessee, Virginia, and Vermont. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP or text next step to 53342 in Arizona, 1-888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org slash chat in Connecticut, 1-800-9-WITH-IT in Indiana, 1-800-522-4700 or visit ksgamblinghelp.com. Dot com in Kansas, one eight seven 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 zero stop in Louisiana. Visit mdgamblinghelp.org in Maryland. Visit one eight hundred gambler.net in West Virginia or call one eight hundred five two two four seven zero zero in Wyoming. Hope is here. Visit gambling helpline ma.org or call eight hundred three two seven fifty fifty four twenty four seven support in Massachusetts or call one eight seven seven eight hope. NY or text Hope NY in New York. That's Jimmy Stein. I'm Clint Lamb, and this is the Bama Online YouTube channel. Uh, Jimmy, a lot going on, man. A lot with the college football playoff. Alabama's obviously got a major game this weekend against Georgia in the SEC championship. As you mentioned, I think on the uh, the last video that we recorded, one of the biggest games probably of the Nick Saban era. And I think you're 100 percent correct. I mean. If Alabama loses this game and they don't go to the college football playoff, it's going to be the first time uh, since Nick Saban arrived at Alabama that they've gone three years without a national championship. And it's possible that they could win the game and still not make the college football playoff, and then it would be three years without winning a national championship. So really interesting dynamic. I'm going to pivot here at the last second. Um, let's talk a little bit of the college football playoff, speaking of which, just because – I feel like people are interested in it. Obviously, it's a, a huge topic of conversation, a lot of interesting discussions. What were your reactions to the Tuesday night rankings? Um, you know, you had still had Georgia sitting at number one. You had Michigan at number two. Some people thought it was possible that Michigan could jump them after a big win over Ohio State. That didn't end up happening. Washington sitting there at number three now after Ohio State lost. Ohio State only dropped to number six. Uh, but once again, Oregon is being viewed as the top one loss team. I mean, what's your thoughts on this whole? Or let's right. start with the Oregon situation. I've been on this for weeks. I mean, in terms of, I mean, really since the initial poll. And uh, I feel like the world's catching up to me a little bit, and, and the committee will be the last to catch up. But you know, I'm not saying that Oregon's not a, a good team or even a very good team. I think they're a very good. I, 
I just look, I'm a resume guy. I've always been a resume guy. To me, the resume is, is what makes sense to me because the eye test that people want to use, I mean, whose eye are we talking about? Um, cause not, not, not to insult anyone else's eye because put it this way, I, I have a tremendous amount of, of faith and, and, and confidence and like a Kirk Herbstreet. I, I, I think he's real, a really good analyst. I think I, I really want to know Kirk Herbstreet's opinion. Uh, Let's throw somebody else out there. Maybe Andy Staples. He he's he's really good. I mean, he knows football. He and and I want to know what Andy's opinion on things is, just like I want to know Kirk's. Well, Kirk and Andy may may look at things differently, and and I respect both of their opinions, but they can look at things differently, and that's why I'm not a big eye test fan. Even even people I respect and whose opinions I want to know will differ to say nothing of my own opinion. So I, I'm a resume guy, and when you look at Oregon's resume, it just does not hold up to Alabama's or Texas. And Oregon has been consistently above Alabama and Texas. And I know the reasons why, because I've poked the bear on Twitter, meaning I've got all of the University of Oregon fans hating me right now and taking shots at me and and, and stuff. And that's that's fine. I, I know what I'm getting into when I when I make a tweet like that. Uh, but my point being, uh Oregon is ahead of Texas and Alabama for one reason. They have a better loss. Their loss is better than Alabama's, and their loss is better than Texas. My point about even that, Clint, is I think their loss is a fraud because, to me, one of the fraudulent teams is Washington. And I realize they're undefeated, and I realize they're good, and they should be ranked very high or pretty high. But they have not won a game by more than 10 points since September. They have just a litany of close wins over bad teams. It was the exact same thing one year ago I was saying about TCU. A litany of close wins over bad teams. And we saw what happened when TCU got to the national championship game against a legitimate elite team. They didn't come close to holding up. I think that's what Washington is. Not Oregon, but Washington. Uh, that's why Washington is undefeated, ranked number three, and is like a nine-point underdog in its next game because there's not a lot of confidence in Washington based on how they've played, not lately, since September. Uh, I, so I, I don't – even Oregon's big trump card is not much of a card to me. Uh, Alabama and Texas should be ranked ahead of Oregon. They have more good wins. They're a better football team. I would even say that, Clint, since 2008, Oregon has been better than Alabama arguably once. <laughs> it, it, it's, it doesn't make a lot of logical sense to me. Uh, and, and if you want to talk eye test, I've seen all these teams play. I don't think Oregon would beat Texas. I don't think Oregon would beat Alabama. I do think the games would be relatively close. I don't think Oregon's terrible. I'm just arguing Oregon's not elite. So my problem with the rankings – in a nutshell, is Oregon should be behind Texas and Alabama. Uh, but the good news for Alabama, there was one sliver of good news, and that's that Georgia remained ranked at number one because Alabama's trump card to play, if they get to play it, is defeating the number one team and the two-time defending national champions uh, the day before Selection Sunday. That's Alabama's trump card to play. Had Georgia fall into two? Uh, I, I would be uh, in a much worse mood about it today. But uh, 
I do think it's realistic that Alabama could beat Georgia and be left out. I don't think it will happen, but it is very realistic. Yeah, it's it's really tough because I, I, I feel like they're setting it up. I mean, the conversation, if you've noticed, on if Georgia loses to Alabama on Saturday, how do you leave Georgia out? They're still one of the best four teams. It feels like that conversation has pivoted, and that's now the primary topic of conversation. No one's talking about should Alabama be in, should they beat Georgia? Now, some people might be saying that should be automatic, so I'm not addressing it. I'm talking about Georgia getting in with Alabama. If that's your argument, okay. But at the same time, when you look at the rest of the field, it's going to be really tough to argue for two SEC teams when it's a historic undefeated and one loss conference champions, runner-ups, you know, all these different things. So it kind of feels like that they're they're setting us up where the conversation, if Alabama beats Georgia, is not going to be should Alabama be in as a one loss to a playoff caliber team in Texas SEC champion, it's going to be should Georgia still be in? And if that ends up being the conversation, this is going to get really weird really quick. Is Georgia one of the best four teams in the country? Absolutely. Yes. Not a doubt in my mind. But yes. – you also cannot make the argument that Alabama is not one of the four best teams in the country. If they go to Mercedes-Benz Stadium on a neutral site and beat Georgia, the top-ranked team right now, and if you've been pushing this head-to-head thing with Alabama and Texas this entire since the college football playoff rankings were released in week nine or whatever it was, like five weeks in a row, you can't all of a sudden say, well, head-to-head doesn't matter. I mean, we still think Georgia's the better team. And that's kind of – it. I, I'm – it's starting to set up that way. Uh, maybe I'm wrong, but you know, people have been asking, okay, does Alabama need Texas and Florida State and and all these teams to lose? Really, to me, um, I think there's going to be conversations. Uh, Georgia playing Alabama, uh, Washington's playing Oregon, uh, Ohio State sitting at home. So, in my opinion, if Alabama beats Georgia on Saturday they should be ahead of Georgia in the rankings. That would be one one spot up. The loser of the Washington-Oregon game, to me, is going to drop below Alabama more than likely. I mean, you would assume so. Uh, and with Ohio State sitting at home, even though they're currently ranked ahead of Alabama, that's fine based off of what's happened up to this point. But if Ohio State's sitting at home and Alabama beats Georgia, I don't think that they're going to stay ahead of Alabama. So that's three spots but they're at number eight that still would leave them at number five so this is why i say i mean everybody's saying it alabama needs texas or florida state to lose now even if those two things don't happen will there be some conversations sure uh but i i don't foresee alabama jumping those two teams in particular the other aspect of this though is who do you pull for if you're an alabama fan between oregon and washington does it really matter uh i would argue that it does yeah, I mean, if Texas and uh, Florida State lose, you probably want Washington to win because then it becomes you got the two undefeateds there at the top uh, in Michigan and in Washington, and now you're talking about two spots for you know uh, Alabama, Georgia, Ohio State. That's two spots for those four teams. Uh, but if only one of those two loses, you probably want Oregon to win, right? Because you feel like the conversation, an undefeated Pac-12 champion is a much more difficult sell to put Alabama in over compared to a one-loss Oregon. Even though they're both conference champions, Oregon's ranked ahead. 
I feel like if just one of those two teams loses, Texas or Florida State, you probably want to be pulling for Oregon because then you can have that conversation because there's only going to be one spot at that point, right? The, the committee doesn't want to do anything super controversial to me. I, I think they're going to want to avoid controversy. Here's a way of avoiding controversy. Undefeated teams are in because they can just rely. Undefeated teams are in. Secondly, head-to-head. Texas beat Alabama. So don't if it's Texas versus Alabama for a spot, Texas is getting it. I mean, because it's, it's, it's controversial to take the team that lost the head-to-head game. But it's not controversial to take the team that won that day. And even if members on the committee are like, you know what, if they played again, I think Alabama would win. Uh, no, uh, I, th- that's why I think Alabama's in trouble, Clint, is because undefeated teams will be in, Texas will be in over Alabama. That and, and there, there's clearly uh, scenarios in which there are too many undefeated teams. And Texas goes in before Alabama. That's why Alabama could be left out. That's why I think Alabama needs Oregon to win, Clint, because you at least have an argument. You have an argument that you should be in over Oregon, in my opinion, a really, really good one. Uh, I don't think the committee is going to buy it, actually. I think Oregon being ranked ahead of Ohio State should tell us everything we need to, to know. They think there's clear separation between Oregon and the Texas-Alabama. Uh, again, Alabama having a big problem. We're sort of married to Texas in the sense that Alabama's not jumping Texas. We're stuck behind Texas no matter what. Uh, and, and, and that maybe is not the case. Stuart Mandel doesn't believe that's the case. He's another guy who's, you know, I, I think a, is the, whose opinion uh, speaks loudly and a lot of people respect his opinion. And he, he says Alabama would uh, would be, I believe his position is if Alabama beats Georgia, they would jump Texas. Uh, I hope he's right. I, I don't believe it, but I hope he's right. Well, it, it's – I mean, Texas is playing a 9-3 and three Oklahoma State team that got who, – who all did they lose to? I mean, it was like – South Alabama. And South UCF? Alabama. Didn't they get blown and out the, by UCF too? Yeah, they got run by both of those schools, not just – Well, at least, at least UCF's a really good team, right? They're like 6-6. Six and six. I mean, <laughs> Right. So, you know. South Alabama was 6-6, six and six, but yeah. not – but. South won that game in Stillwater 33 to seven. You know, there used to be that that's that's just outrageous to me that it speaks to the Big 12, right? I mean, there's a couple of leagues that are just pretty bad. I mean, Oklahoma State is the second best team in the Big 12. They got beat by South Alabama 33 to seven. Louisville is the second best team in the ACC. They got beat by the ninth best team in the SEC in Kentucky. Uh, I think those things should really hurt Texas and Florida State. But uh, again, if Florida State finishes undefeated, I think they're I think they're in. But it it blows out of the water the idea that the committee is selecting the four best teams. Florida State would be deserving, but not the best, not in their current makeup. Well, and I wouldn't even. I'm I'm gonna tell you, I don't even think they would be one of the four best with Jordan Travis. But that that's I could be a lot more I on board. I with don't it. disagree. I don't disagree with that. I yeah. just. It would be a harder argument to make, but I'm with you, Clint. They would not be the four. I think the four best teams are – I know this is going to bore everybody to death. I've I've watched all the college football just like you have, Clint. The four best teams in college football, Georgia, Alabama, Michigan, Ohio State. They're the four best teams in my opinion. I think Texas – maybe Texas. Maybe Texas should be in there. They're not playing like it, though. Well, that – 
No, no, no. okay, they, they weren't they playing played too many. Yeah, they weren't playing yeah. like it. They went through that stretch where they weren't good. The Iowa State game and all that stuff. They weren't the four best for a while. But I, I would agree that Texas has a good argument. I think Oregon's got a good argument. Maybe Oregon, maybe Texas. But if you just say, Jimmy, who do you think are the four best teams based on how the regular season played? Alabama, Georgia, Ohio State, Michigan, and whatever order. Well, I, I didn't look too far into it. I just accepted it for what it was. But there was something that the Big 12 came came in. And there was like a three-way tie between Oklahoma, Texas, or excuse me, Oklahoma, Oklahoma State, and uh, and Kansas State. Kansas State. And the, the Big 12 came in and clarified a rule that kind of put everything in favor of Oklahoma State where if they won, they were going to get in over the other two. Call me a conspiracy theorist all you want to, but – there's a part of me, A, I don't think the Big 12 wanted the two SEC teams that are about to be yep. leaving to play each other in the Big 12 championship in the final one in the current makeup. And B, uh, they wanted that playoff money. And Texas' best chance by far is Oklahoma State. It certainly yep. wouldn't have been versus Oklahoma who had beaten Texas previously. It's tough to beat a team twice. But, I mean, call me a conspiracy theorist, but, man, this sure worked out well for Texas as far as lining things up for a clear path, uh, which you know would make the Big 12 a lot of money. And then all Oklahoma State had to do to clinch this the, one of the biggest games in, in Oklahoma State football history is beat a, a, an average BYU team, and then they're down 24 to 7, you know, and, and then have to come back and win in overtime. Uh, now, that said, I mean, they do have some dudes. The running back there is a dude. Ollie Sutton is a really good player. He is. Strange things have happened in the Big 12 championship game. That's one championship game where strange things consistently happen. So, I'm not ruling out Oklahoma State winning that game, but I I I I, I think it's a long shot for sure. Uh, I, I would money line. I would I would go heavy on Texas if I was a betting man. Uh, but you know, I, I think Alabama's best. What Alabama needs to hope for that's very realistic in my mind is Louisville beating Florida State. I think that's realistic and says a lot about Florida State at the same time. Right. Yeah. And I mean. Here's the thing. All this conversation, it doesn't mean anything if Alabama doesn't beat Georgia. That's the primary. I mean, don't get me wrong here. I know we're making an argument. We're getting ahead of ourselves here. I just feel like they're getting ahead as far as the conversations that they're trying to have where if Alabama does beat Georgia, Alabama still gets left out. And so I'm I'm in the process of countering some of those arguments and some of those points and getting ahead of it as well because that's exactly what they're doing, or at least that's what it feels like to me. And when you look at Alabama, if they beat Georgia, they're conference champions in the SEC. I don't care. You know, people can say the SEC is down this year compared to previous years. Give me a break. Everybody knows that's false. And put an SEC team in the playoff, and you'll find out. A uh, 14-point win over the number 11 team, the number 13 team, and the number 21 team. You'd have a win over a top-ranked Georgia team, which would fall if they lost and could fall out of the top four. Uh, you know, but it's still going to be if, – if, if Oregon beats Washington – Washington's going to drop two, and they're going to drop below Georgia. I guarantee you that. And Georgia's on a yep. currently on a 29-game winning streak, so Alabama would have a better win than Oregon. They'd have a better loss because in this scenario, if Texas does win, which we definitely foresee, they're probably going to be a playoff team. They would be that first team up. Um, and I guess it would be, yeah, it would be Texas if you're not including Oregon because it's a win and, and you're in to some degree. Uh, but you're talking about more – Alabama's Texas will rank higher than Washington. Should Oregon beat Washington and Texas wins, I'm with you. Texas will rank higher than Washington. Therefore, that's a great point that, that I hadn't thought about until you just said it. That's a great point that 
Oregon's loss is now not as good as Alabama's. Yeah, I mean, at it's, the end. it's Alabama would have a better win. They'd have a better loss. They would have four top 25 wins, uh, including the best lo- best win of anybody uh, in this conversation. They would have played more teams and beaten more teams with a 500 or better record than Oregon. They would have played and beaten more teams with a better than eight win record than Oregon. Uh, so it's like all of these things factor in Alabama's favor, but yet because everybody says we think based off what we're witnessing on the field that Oregon is a better football team, we're going to put them above Alabama and all these others. Uh, maybe that ends up not happening, but um, I don't know. We'll we'll have to wait and see. And I do think the conversation, I, I haven't even been entertaining this up to this point, but the conversation between Georgia and Alabama, even though I I would agree, I think Georgia would probably be still, even if Alabama won, as equally as good as Alabama and, and maybe even better. Uh, you know, sometimes the, the better team loses sometimes if things are off or whatever, but you can't push head to head this entire year and all of a sudden head to head doesn't matter. And right. when you look at Georgia's resume, I mean, they'd have a nine point win over number nine. They'd have a th- couple of really impressive wins, 35 point win over Ole Miss, 28 point win over Tennessee. The the law the the wins over Auburn and Kentucky are somewhat comparable. Um, you know, Auburn played both both teams close. Alabama and Georgia both blew out Kentucky, but Georgia's best wins Missouri. Alabama's best win is Georgia. You know, Alabama uh, Georgia's loss would be to Alabama. Alabama's loss would be to Texas. If you don't include Alabama in the playoffs, then Alabama's loss would be better because Texas is making it right. So right. they they played a playoff team. Georgia lost to a non-playoff team. So it's like, I mean, this is going to be a really interesting conversation. Didn't didn't intend to spend 20 minutes talking about this. We're going to talk about the SEC championship. That's what we're here for. But I just found it fascinating. We haven't addressed it, it's, you and I, and I wanted to kind of flesh it out. super interesting. Never been this interesting. It's never been this interesting. Even removing Alabama from the equation, it's never been this interesting. And for people that, that, that just are the, oh, you know, nothing crazy is going to happen. I would just remind everybody, if every favorite wins, which means Alabama loses, if every favorite wins this weekend, in my opinion, based on my read of the committee, Texas is being left out. Uh, A a 12-1 and Texas who won the Big 12, who has probably the best actual win of anyone all year beating Alabama and Tuscaloosa by 10 points, uh, and, and Texas being left out, it is outrageous if Texas is out and Florida State is in based on the committee's charge of selecting the four best teams. Uh, no, that they didn't select the best, if that's what happened. They selected, in their minds, the most deserving. And uh, that word deserving is nowhere in the charter that created that committee. Yeah, I mean, we, I'm, I'm, we're sitting here complaining about Alabama's spot. I would say Texas fans should be a lot more pissed off than Alabama fans. I mean, yes, because yes. they the head-to-head does matter, and I can't dispute that. And that's why I kind of – I understand it was week two, and I've made the argument. You've heard me make the argument. Alabama's a completely different team. If they played again, I think Alabama wins that game. Texas is not playing their best football, but I also have said every step of the way, head-to-head has to matter to some degree. And so yeah. if, if, you're, if you're Texas and your strength of schedule and all these things are somewhat similar, even though what's the strength of schedule going to look like when Alabama plays Georgia – and Texas plays Oklahoma State, a nine and three, going to be a nine and four Oklahoma State in their you know conference championship. Um, I would think that that would tip very heavily in Alabama's favor at that point. But still, 
the head to head might be enough to make up for that. And so if I was a Texas fan, I'd be livid right now because you don't control your own destiny either, which is pretty wild. Uh, let's talk about this SEC championship because, like I said, and, it, and it's no secret to anybody, Alabama has to win on Saturday for any of this to matter as far as Alabama fans are concerned. If they don't, that it doesn't. I mean, it's go play in your bowl game. It's a disappointment. Georgia's probably going to go run the table in the uh, college football playoff. I'm going to go ahead and tell you, uh, if you're a betting man and, and Georgia wins on Saturday, which is the expected outcome right now, mm-hmm. then I would go lay – a couple of dollars, you know, go bet, bet the milk money on Georgia to win the college football playoff because I don't think anybody's stopping them. It's three Pete. Uh, but we're going to start with Alabama's offense against Georgia's defense because this is where I think things can be really interesting. Uh, which it, it's kind of wild to say that in previous matchups, it's been Alabama's offense with Bryce Young and Jamison Williams and John Mechie. Uh, it's been fascinating to see, okay, what can this Alabama offense with all this firepower, even though there were struggles on the offensive line, what can it do against a quote-unquote historically good Georgia defense? Now, it's kind of feeling like Georgia's defense is somewhat vulnerable, but the offense has gone to new heights, and they've got weapons all over the place, and they got a quarterback that can distribute the football. He's a very underrated player. I don't think Carson Beck is getting enough credit this year for what he's been able to do. If he wasn't, you know, if there wasn't all these superstars that were kind of overshadowing him, kind of like, you know, Mac Jones was really good in 2020, but you had Najee Harris, you had Devontae Smith, who ended up winning the Heisman. It's like he was overshadowed by some of his weapons. I feel like Carson Beck's kind of getting some of that treatment as well. Uh, But their offense has stepped up. Alabama's offense isn't what it was as far as, you know, scoring output and things like that compared to the Bryce Young days, uh, recent Bryce Young days. But it's, you know, it's still an effective unit and the defense has stepped up and the defense is a lot better, even though there's been some struggles. So very fascinating how things have kind of flip flop between these two programs. But when you look at Alabama's offense and you look at Georgia's defense, what are some of your thoughts on how this game could end up playing out and what you think is going to be important factors in it? Milrow, Jalen Milrow, uh, I think so much is is on Jalen. Here's one thing. Georgia has not faced a quarterback like Jalen Milrow. They didn't get to play Jaden Daniels, who's the best player in college football and and, and a similar player to Milrow, better because he's older and more experienced. Uh, But they didn't, you know, when you look at the East, I mean, you know, the quarterbacks they play in the East, Mertz, Rattler, Joe Milton is sort of in the Milrow range i don't think joe milton is dynamic as jalen milrow no one's talking about milton winning the heisman no one's talking about milton maybe being a shot a surprise first round pick but milton sort of in the ballpark but leary brady cook whoever vanderbilt chooses that week to play quarterback uh and then of course they didn't play anyone in the non-conference uh haynes king i guess is is a dual threat guy but i don't but again Comparing Haynes King to Jalen Milrow at this point is a little silly, but he's he's a dual threat guy. Look what happened. Georgia Tech pushed Georgia, and they rushed for 200 yards uh, in the game. So I, I think Milrow being unique to Georgia is a, is a real advantage for Alabama. You can't replicate him in scout team. So I, I, I like advantage Alabama there. But I would like to remind everyone occasionally that what, even with Milrow's incredible ascent, even with Milrow taking 
Alabama, where no one was expecting back in September, he's still a relatively young, inexperienced player. He entered the year the uh, least uh, experienced starting quarterback in the SEC. He now has a full season under his belt, but is still making his 13th start. You may uh, say the same thing about Carson Beck, but Carson Beck is one year older than Milrow. And yes, uh, I'm a strong believer, and that matters at this age. Uh, the age still matters. We separate really young athletes by age groups, right? 11s and 12-year-olds play together and 13 and 14-year-olds play together. For some reason, when, when, when people turn 18, we stop sort of counting that. But that's crazy to me. It, it is a difference when you're 19 uh, versus when you're 23. That, uh, that, that should be a big difference. So Milrow is still a young, inexperienced guy in the, in the grand scheme of things. And this is a big, big stage. And Georgia is... I would say the best defense he's faced, uh, you know, Texas is really good. Texas A&M is very good. Uh, but Georgia's, you know, when you consider the stage and how good Georgia is on defense, this is Milrow's biggest challenge of his life, not just this season, his life. Uh, so to me, Clint, I hate putting this much on that one kid. It, it's But to me, when I think about Alabama's offense in this game having success, it's Jalen. If it doesn't go well and Alabama's not competitive in this game or loses by more than two, you know, two or three scores, I'm going to say, gosh, the, it swallowed up Jalen. The stage was too big. He wasn't ready for this. He'll be ready for it next year, but he wasn't ready for it. But if Alabama does have a lot of success in this game and wins this game, how is that possible? Jalen Milrow is how it's possible that Georgia just could not defend all he requires you to defend, and Alabama won the game. So I, I just hate myself for putting it all on that kid. But that's just how I see it. Either Jalen's ready for this, uh, and, and he beats Georgia, or it sort of swallows him up because he's not quite ready for this. Yeah, that's, to me, a lot of this – Alabama offense versus Georgia defense is going to come down to Jalen Milrow. Uh, I think Alabama, Georgia to me, they don't have that dynamic game wrecking interior presence that they've had in recent years. They don't have a Jalen Carter, in my opinion. They don't have a, a Jordan Davis, but they're still really, really good with their interior defensive line. That's not me. You know, I'm not trying to take a shot at Georgia by any means. I just think that they don't have that game record because, I mean, those players, I mean, they were drafted, what, number nine overall and number 13 overall or something like that. They were both top 15 picks. And so, you know, you have a Devontae Wyatt who was a first-rounder, and he was a really good player. I think they certainly have some guys in that range, kind of late day one, early day two caliber players before it's all said and done. But that just complete game record that no one can block and can cause so many issues, uh, I, I don't think that they have that guy right now. Uh, they got some guys who could potentially become that. Jordan Davis wasn't always the player he was his senior year uh, or last year. I don't, I don't remember how old he was. Uh, I think he actually might have been a fifth-year player, but I could be wrong. What doesn't, doesn't matter. So I think that their interior defensive line can be had more than it's been able to in recent years. You know, you've seen some teams have some success especially early in games. It, it feels like there's been so many games this year where the other teams come out and like scored first and you think, Oh, they might be, we might be saying something here. And then Georgia com continues to just completely route them. I mean, how many times have we seen that? It's been a bunch, but 
if you can have that early success and you can continue to build on that, I think that that certainly uh, can play into your favor. Alabama is probably going to want to try to run the football, but if they're going to, uh, it probably needs to be a lot more off-tackle stuff. And this is why I say Jalen Milrow plays such an important factor because Alabama, if you're going to attack the edges, and I think a guy like Jam Miller, like if Jace McClellan is unable to go, Jam Miller to me is a lot better equipped to do a lot of your outside stuff. And so I'm not saying it would be good, for Jace McClellan to sit, but I'm saying it could present some advantages that wouldn't have been there otherwise, even though you're losing some stuff on losing Jace McClellan and his, and his experience and the completeness and how hard he runs and all those things. Uh, but with Jalen Milrow, I don't I also don't think Georgia, they, it's weird. Have they had a Will Anderson caliber edge or, you know, a Dallas Turner caliber edge? No, I mean, Nolan Smith, from a production standpoint, he never did a ton at Georgia, but he was he dealt with injuries a lot, and he was a freak athletically. And that's where I feel like Georgia this year has kind of fallen off as far as their edge play. Uh, it's not bad by any means. It's certainly serviceable, but they don't have the same caliber of athletes playing on the edge as they have in recent years, which is why they've been vulnerable to dual-threat quarterbacks. I mean, you look at Spencer Rattler. I think 35 yards rushing. He led South Carolina. You look at Haynes King last week, two rushing touchdowns. Peyton Thorne had, you know, over 90 yards when they played Auburn. Robbie Ashford had 33 or 34 yards in that game and a touchdown in, uh, when Auburn played Georgia. Uh, even guys like Jacob Zeno, uh, who plays for UAB, he had, uh, you know, a, a few rushing yards. He had a rushing touchdown. The UT Martin quarterback led his team with 47 yards when they played Georgia. So they've they've struggled some with mobile quarterbacks. And Jalen Milrow is going to be a different caliber of dual threat quarterback than anything they've seen up to this point. Uh, but I will I do find it interesting because Dumas Johnson, who I think is a heck of a, lot, a linebacker, I mean, one of the better linebackers in the SEC, he's been out for a while. He's not going to play on Saturday. Uh, Munden has been dealing with injuries all year. Their other inside linebacker, but he's he's played through a lot of his stuff. But I don't think he's been healthy. I think it's kind of a Deontay Lawson uh, type of situation where he's been just constantly banged up. But they have a five star freshman by the name of Raylan Wilson, uh, very impressive player, six one two twenty five, elite sideline to sideline range, and it's very Reuben Foster, Roquan Smith esque in that sense young player uh they i think they played him close to over 30 snaps against georgia tech and that was a, a career high so far for him i think that was done with the intent of preparing him to be a spy on Jalen milrow with that speed that he's got so that's something to look out for as well george is going to have some things they're going to try to do to limit his success on the ground but he's such a pivotal piece so if alabama is going to have success offensively I think Jalen Milrow has to not only be willing to run the football, but have success running the football. Yeah, you know, all, all great. Uh, I, I love the observations about their front. Uh, I mean, I, I, I couldn't agree more that when I've watched Georgia this year, I, I don't see that dude. Uh, and and that, that's critical, I, I think, in this game. Is I, I think Georgia's really good on defense, but not – it's not the 21 Georgia defense to me. It's not the 22 defense to me. 
it's still very good and very challenging. I think you brought up on the uh, on the on the round table the BOL message board, Clint. I think you brought this up. You know, A and M has a better front than Georgia. I, I couldn't agree more. They they really do. They're do they got dudes and they play well. So we've seen a, a front better than Georgia's. But overall, they're very good. I think if Georgia's good in a spot, I like what what they where they are on the back end, and and I, and I think Alabama could have. It's not going to be just a, a picnic throwing the ball against those guys, and, and I, I'd credit their DBs more than the pass rush. Uh, they're, they're pretty good. I, I'm with you. I think what I trust most in this game is going to be Jalen Milrow running the ball on either design runs or more likely just scramble plays, which can, if, if, if it, if it falls right, can sort of turn into a punt return. Uh, I, I think it's Alabama's best chance of making a big play of all of a sudden now you're in field goal range. Uh, I, I, I think traditional, just straight handoff on power runs to Roy Dell and jam, uh, assuming Jace can't go. Uh, I, I don't know how effective that will be. I think just straight up what I would call design pro pass routes where Jalen Milrow is in the pocket trying to throw to his primary or he comes off his primary to try to go to number two. I don't know how much success Alabama can have with that, but where Alabama can have a lot of success, I think, is just uh, on the perimeter, rollouts, uh, Milrow's legs, and Milrow beats them with his legs two or three times, and now you might be able to throw it over their heads because they get really conscious of it. If, if you get Georgia super conscious of, hey, our DBs, our best players on defense have to be involved in tackling Milrow, now you've got an opportunity in the pass game, right? So that's why I'm saying so much of it's on Jalen, and where I'm going to be comfortable as an Alabama fan on Saturday is when Jalen takes the snap and uh, sort of rolls out, uh, particularly if he's got an option to maybe still go to the back. Uh, but just Jalen sort of uh, not ad-libbing, but because uh, I think there's got to be some design to it. But uh, I, I just think Georgia tackling Jalen Milrow in space is going to be problematic for them. I think once they get really conscious of we've got to defend the Milrow runs, now the backs can feast a little bit, Roydell and Jam both, and uh, and now you've probably opened up something in the pass game. I, I think underrated players on this Alabama offense, Clint, are those receivers. I can see Burton having a nice game against his old team. I can see Isaiah Bond uh, continuing to build on what is now a national reputation that I think is deserved, by the way, uh, and – maybe even Amari Nablack, almost not a forgotten part, but we need to remember at times that Nablack is our best mismatch player and he's probably open. <laughs> so uh, Alabama does have the weapons. I think, if I, you know, in my mind, this is what I want to ask you. Uh, is there a magic point number where Alabama can score a certain point, get to a point total that's going to make it very difficult for Georgia to win the game but is also realistic. And, and what do you think that point total might be? Well, Alabama beat Texas A&M in College Station 26-20, uh, and that was against a really good defensive front. I think what makes Georgia so difficult for Alabama is this is the most complete team 
that Alabama has played since Texas. And we all obviously all saw the results against Texas. It was a 10-point loss at home. This isn't close to being the same team that it was then. Jalen Milrow has so much more figured out. Uh, Tommy Reese has so much more figured out. So to say that you know, you're going to get the same result, I think, would be uh, lazy. But one thing you've been able to – like Texas A&M was so limited offensively. They lost their starting quarterback. The offense just has not been very good under Jimbo Fisher. Uh, and so, you know, you, you were going against a great defense, but you never had to worry about having, you know, the opposing defense pin their ears back and get after your, your quarterback and your passing game because their offense is putting up points and you're trying to play keep up. You play LSU every time they touched the football, even against Alabama's defense, when Jaden Daniels was healthy, it felt like they were probably going to score. They didn't every time, but it just, it felt that way, but you knew LSU's defense was just dog water. And that they were going to be every time Alabama touched the football, they were going to be able to score too, pretty much. And so then it just becomes okay, these one or two key stops. Uh, but against Texas, it was like you've got to get. It's very hard. You can when you play a limited team that's either limited defensively or offensively, you have a chance to capture momentum for your entire team through one of those avenues. Like even though your defense is getting tore up, your offense is putting up points. It can you know that can get create some positive momentum and maybe that carries over to the other side of the football when if Alabama is going to capture momentum on Saturday they're going to have to fight scratch and claw on both sides of the football to do it and so that's what is so fascinating about this matchup is we haven't seen Alabama have to do that since that Texas game and even though you know there's been tons of growth that's what I find interesting but it was 26 points against Texas A&M that was enough to get the job done it's not going to be that against Georgia. I highly doubt it's going to be that against Georgia because Georgia offensively is on a com- completely uh, other planet than than Texas A&M. They've got a lot of weapons. We're going to be talking about that here in just a little bit. We're going to be doing two separate preview videos, uh, recording them both, and you know, we just want to kind of split it up, especially when we added the playoff talk. But I think you probably need to score 34, 35 points for Alabama. And that might some people might think uh, I don't think they need you know thirty maybe I, I'm I'm in that range. That's uh that's scary. As soon as you said that, I was I, you know I, <laughs> I value your opinion greatly. I was hoping I was hoping you were going to be around that twenty eight number twenty seven. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but no, I, I get it, and and that that is what, and we'll, we'll talk about that on on our next preview show uh, when we switch the other side of the ball. I, Georgia's offense is, to me, what makes them elite this year. Like I said, I think their defense has taken a a step back, a step and a half back. Their offense has taken a couple of steps forward to make up for it. Uh, They're they're a more difficult offense to defend uh, than they were under Bennett, Stetson Bennett, who is a good player, who I still say whenever I see Stetson Bennett slander, I'm like, what are what what college football are you guys watching? I mean, Stetson Bennett to me is one of the more efficient machine type quarterbacks I've seen, and in, in his senior year was was one heck of a football player and a deserving Heisman candidate. But Carson Beck is a more gifted kid than Stetson Bennett. He can make throws that Stetson uh, could not make or even try, and and I think Carson Beck is more what the NFL has in mind uh, about what a quarterback is supposed to be and look like and play like. And uh, I'm with you, Clint. I, I, 
I, I, I just say that if Georgia gets into the low 30s or mid 30s, I start losing confidence that Alabama can win the game uh, because it's, again, such a huge ask of Milrow. It won't be a bit as big of an ask next year uh, when Milrow's had another year of growth. I think I think now your biggest problem when you play Alabama is Jalen Milrow. Uh, I think he's getting there. I worry he's not there quite yet. There's still too many negative plays, bad plays, and I think Alabama went three and out against Auburn four times. Auburn's not Georgia. I mean, you can't go three and out and uh, and win this game on offense. At minimum, on every possession, you need to accomplish two things. There needs to be points, or you need to gain significant field percentage uh, position so that they're backed up. You've got to accomplish that on every possession. Don't go three and out and give them the ball at midfield or you're just hosed. And certainly don't turn the ball over or you're super hosed. Uh, that's what the charges for Alabama, I think, Saturday. They have to play their best game of the year. That means their cleanest game with Milrow playing some level of hero ball, especially if the score gets up as you predict uh, that Georgia might be able to get into the mid thirties, that's going to take some real Milrow hero ball to win the game. Yeah. And I mean, I, I guess I could see us for points for Alabama. I say like 33, 34, which I mean, obviously that would put Georgia, you know, 32 or 33 uh, to, to technically win, but I could see it being like a 33, 30 kind of final or something like that. I mean, and people keep saying it, it's like every week, we do these score predictions, like a staff score predictions, and we'll have a team reaching a certain number, the opposing offense reaching a certain number. And if, I feel like we've been getting criticized every week about it. It's like, how in the world are they going to put up this amount of points? And they could be like 13 points or something. And they'll be like, how, how are they going to do that against Alabama's defense? Or how are they going to put up a touchdown against Alabama's defense? Or how in the world do you have Kentucky reaching 20 points? And then they every week they're doing it. And, and granted, it's taking some kind of fluky stuff for that to happen such as, you know, a muffed punt that kind of shifts momentum in Kentucky's favor. Uh, they were having zero offensive success before that. They immediately go down 35, 36 yards, something like that, and score a touchdown as soon as the muff punt happens. So sometimes it takes fluky stuff like that, but it just seems like Alabama, they're still being approached as being this elite defense that just doesn't give up points, and that just hadn't been the case all year. For one reason or another, it ends up happening. And so I think Alabama's defense is definitely good enough to make a big difference in this game, which we'll be talking about soon. But it, I, I still think Alabama's offense, or it could be special teams, or it could be a defensive score maybe. I mean, just however you need to get there, I would say a low 30 starting to get into the mid-30s. Um, and, you know, that's because I see Georgia – more than likely, they're going to be putting up at the very least, in my opinion, like high twenties, and more than likely in the low thirties. You know, and, and it's possible they could end up putting up more than that. But I would say that's the kind of range that I'm sitting in, and we'll find out. It, it might not be, but um, you know, you say I, I wonder if Jermaine Burton's going to have a big game because Lassiter, to me, when you've watched him, he shadowed Old Miss's receiver, uh, I think Trey Harris. He shadowed Luther Bur Burden uh, when they played Missouri. Luther Burden had an early touchdown, but it wasn't on Lassiter. It was on somebody else. But he 
arrived in Athens as and he played a lot of stars a freshman. Now he plays a lot of perimeter cornerback, but he's got the ability to kind of move around and do different things. And so they've given him the ability to kind of move around and cover the opposing team's top receiver. From a target's perspective, that's Isaiah Bond. But anybody that watches the games understands Jermaine Burton's that guy. He's averaging over 22 yards a catch, ranked second nationally, already has seven touchdowns, which is what he had last year. Um, you know, he's, he's only got about 750 yards, but really he's missed, I would say, even though he didn't miss the Mississippi State game, like he played like seven or eight snaps, he didn't get any targets. He's essentially missed two games, in my opinion. He would be a lot closer to... You know, he'd be sitting probably somewhere in the high 800s, maybe low 900s right now going into this SEC championship had he not missed those two games. But I, I do wonder if they're going to shadow Burton with Lassiter. And if that ends up happening, I mean, Lassiter's a really good player. Um, I know there's a lot of debate about, you know, who's better between him and Kool-Aid McKinstry. Uh, I think there's an argument to be made for both. But the bottom line is, is Alabama's not going to allow kool-aid to shadow guys and, and play inside or go you know go play left cornerback on some snaps georgia will do that with lassiter i mean I, I to me this game feels very kobe prentice uh kendrick law maybe some isaiah bond i think athletically at safety and linebacker uh you know georgia's got some guys that can maybe go toe-to-toe with the marina black even though i think he's going to be an imp- a pretty important piece but i could see this being more of an and you know Georgia t- tries to take away a lot of Alabama's top weapons, but Alabama has enough to counter because they've got a lot more than a lot of people realize at the wide receiver position and some at tight end. Alabama's depth, Alabama's depth of of playmakers, it, this is where it can really pay off. I mean, I, I I agree completely that Lassiter is the level of cornerback that could take a Jermaine Burton out of the game entirely but you still have other options, uh, you know, if, if that happens. Uh, and and I, I like that observation about, hey, you know, it doesn't have to be Burton and Bond uh, or even not Black. There's other, there's other guys to say nothing of, I think when this game is over, win or lose, uh, Milrose numbers are going to be pretty big when you add up the passing yards and the rushing yards. Uh, I think so much of it will be on him. I think uh, to some extent his not running – has been uh, protecting himself and Alabama trying to protect him, knowing that, you know, you probably don't want to play Georgia with QB2. You need health. You need a healthy Milrow getting here. But now everything is on the line and all the chips are down. And and, uh, I think you do see a lot of Milrow running and and taking some hits and and hopefully he can survive it because those Georgia Georgia guys are uh, big and fast. But uh, I, I like the other options. Alabama's got a lot of options in the game and can make a big play. Kendrick Law can make a big play. Jalen Hale can make a big play. Uh, Kobe Prentice has made big plays in his two years. And Jam Miller probably getting more opportunities than ever before with Jace banged up. And uh, I don't know if unlikely is the right word for it. I just know myself. I, I'm not anticipating seeing Jace McClellan Saturday. Maybe we do, and it's gravy, and it's a bonus. But uh, I just sort of in my own head, I've just sort of written this off to, to Roy Dell and Jam. But I'm excited to see what, what that looks like. And, uh, hey, let's not undersell Roy Dell. You know, Roy Dell, one thing, the first thing that comes to mind about him every time I think of Roy Dell, that, that kid is tough. He's a tough kid. And uh, 
for a player at his size to have the success he does running inside, a fearless, fearless dude, uh, just a, a rolling ball of muscle. And uh, this game could come down to my final point about Alabama's offense, Clint, is Alabama wins this game if the red zone trips end in sevens and Georgia's red zone trips end in threes. That's how you can win the game. You can win the game right there, right there. You don't you don't hardly need anything else. But if the red zone trips end in sevens and Georgia's are held to threes, I like Alabama to spring an upset here. Yeah, it's going to be a fascinating game. There's no doubt. And we still got a, the Alabama's defense versus Georgia's offense coming up in the next preview. But I, th- I think we've kind of covered most of, of what we're going to talk about. I mean, it's so many different matchup looks and i think with raylan wilson in the lineup uh it it feels like that georgia's gotten a lot more sideline to sideline speed now granted he didn't play every snap you know he was kind of he played i think it was somewhere in the 30s like 34 35 uh something like that against georgia tech he didn't have a full-time role it felt like they were preparing him, though, to be that spy option on Jalen Milrow because he's got that sideline to sideline speed. But when he's not on the field, I don't think, you know, one of the things that has made Georgia's defense special over the last couple of years is just the amount of stupid athletes. I mean, you got a 345 pound, uh, you know, nose tackle, nose guard that's running a 4740 at the combine. You've got Nolan Smith as an edge rusher, as a 200 and close to 40 pound edge rusher. And he's jumping like forty plus inch verticals. He's running a four three eight forty. It's like their their athleticism defensively has been such a problem. I don't think they have that caliber of athlete all over the place like they've had. They've got some of them, and they, I'm not saying they're not good defensively because they are. But you know, getting Kendrick Law on some jets and stuff, I think against previous. Georgia defenses just don't even try because, you know, I understand that's been a big part of the offense, but I wouldn't have because they're way too sideline to sideline. It's not, you're not going to be able to beat them to the edges. I think now they're a lot more susceptible to that sort of thing. And if you're not really getting a whole lot from your run game, essentially a lot of jets and stuff and getting creative that way can become your de facto run game. And that's how you can try to beat Georgia as far as the perimeter stuff, let Kendrick Law essentially become a, a running back, get the football in his hands on a jet, let him use his speed to kind of get to the edge, and then he can uh, he can be that physical presence that you need him to with the ball in his hands. Uh, so that's something to look out for. Um, the I will be curious to see if you end up seeing Justice Haynes. I could see this being an opportunity to get him involved. I could also see this being more of a, you know, hey, Miller, Roydell, and, and, and Jace might, may play. I, I don't know, but it doesn't look likely to me. Uh, that's speculation on my part. But um, we'll, we'll see how it ends up turning out. I do think that with Georgia's lack of edge production, the fact that you have uh, Caden Proctor, who has been better in recent weeks, but he's still giving up some pressures. Uh, he hadn't been perfect. Alabama's doing some things to help him out. I don't think you really have to do as much as you would have previously with some of their previous edge guys. You know, Marvin Jones Jr. is a good player, or he's becoming a good player. He's not an elite edge right now. Uh, Shambliss has not been unstoppable. Uh, he's he's a very solid, good edge, not a freak athletically. He's not Nolan Smith. 
Uh, Michael Williams is a, a big body guy, 6'5", 265, going to be a hell of a player. But, you know, he's going to play a lot inside, kind of be more of a, you know, Justin Aboyby type of player. He plays that role for them. And so he's really not going to be this bendy edge that's going to threaten you off the edge just a ton. So it's like, even though Alabama's maybe vulnerable at left tackles to some degree, how much can Georgia take advantage of it? Will they have to do some things to compensate, send some edge pressure with the star, bring a safety, corner blitzes, uh, you know, a, a, an off-ball linebacker off the edge, that kind of thing. Might have to do some of that to generate some pressure consistently. Um, I'll be curious to see how they end up attacking Alabama. But, Jimmy, do you have anything else that you want to add before we hop out of this video and then get on to the next one? Um, like you said, I think Alabama's offense, I mean, the, the challenge to me, the challenge is getting to 35, get to 35 and win the game, get to 35 points. And, and you have more than done your job. You you've given Alabama every chance to win this game. If you can get to 35, I, I just would, would say that, uh, that's one heck of a challenge against, against this Georgia defense, which isn't what it was but it's still very, very good national championship worthy defense. Can Alabama score 35? It's on Jalen. It's on Jalen. It's a big ask. It's a big ask Jalen, but uh, get to 35 and win this game. I mean, I just, I can't imagine what the, what the, the, the discussion is going to be surrounding Jalen Milrow. If he's able to, I I don't think he's going to have a ton of passing yards, but I could see him having a kind of performance that he had against some, I mean, Auburn, you know, where you put up close to 250 through the air, or I think it was 250, 259, something like that, 253 uh, through the air, and then 103 on the ground, have a couple of touchdown passes. I could see that kind of stat line, uh, and I could see – I think he's going to have to score some touchdowns on the ground, to be honest with you. Uh, I could see it being like a 230, 240, 250 passing day, 100 yards, 110, 120, just because he has to run a ton. And, you know, a couple of touchdowns on the ground, a couple of touchdowns through the air. If he can do that kind of – if he can get that kind of performance out of him, you upset Georgia, what's the conversation surrounding Jalen Milrow? I mean, it's – it's it, it, whether they go to the playoffs or not, uh, people are going to be talking about how should he be included in that group to New York. And if he isn't, then he needs to be one of the front runners heading into 2024. So there's a lot for him to play for. He's handled adversity well. Um you know, he's believed in himself. He's got the right people that's believed in him all year, and he trusts that. So uh, we'll see how that ends up playing out. But, uh, Jimmy, I appreciate you hopping on here for this video. Like I said, we're about to immediately hop right back on here and record another one. So uh, looking forward to that conversation. But this one's been fun, and it's going to be really interesting. And we will talk again soon. If you haven't already, go like, subscribe, share this video anywhere that you you know, if you got a Twitter, share it on Twitter, get the word out for this preview and make sure you like and subscribe. That's really important to us as far as just the numbers and making sure, you know, the things that we're doing, the energy we're putting towards this, doing close to, you know, an hour and a half, hour and 40 minutes total uh, of Georgia preview and college football playoff talk that, you know, that was worth it to all you guys. Leave some comments, you know, give us some feedback on it, things that you maybe you would like for us to do better or include or not include. Uh, don't tell me that I rambled too much cause I already know that. And I've been told that enough. Um, I'm kidding. Um, but you know, it, I, we really appreciate any help on that front. Y'all's 
contribution as far as liking and sharing and subscribing and doing all those things. Uh, it means the world to us, and it's trying to make this channel grow to be the absolute biggest that it possibly can. So we appreciate your contributions, and we will talk to you guys soon. Madness is here. Say goodbye to busted brackets because FanDuel lets you bet on every game of the tournament. Whether you're betting on a big upset or a one seed, it's time to go dancing on America's number one sports book. Right now, new customers get $200 in bonus bets if your first $5 bet wins on FanDuel. That's 200 bucks to use on point spreads, money lines. You can even pick who's going to win it all. Just visit FanDuel.com slash on three and bet on college hoops until they cut down the nets. Must be 21 and older and present in select states. First online real money wager only. $10 first deposit required. Bonus issued as non-withdrawable bonus. Bets that expire seven days after receipt. See terms at sportsbook.fanduel.com. FanDuel is offering online sports wagering in Kansas under an agreement with Kansas Star Casino LLC. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or visit fanduel.com slash RG in Colorado, Iowa, Michigan, New Jersey, Ohio, Pennsylvania, Illinois, Kentucky, Tennessee, Virginia, and Vermont. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP or text next step to 5332 in Arizona, 1-888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org slash chat in Connecticut, 1-800-9-WITH-IT in Indiana, 1-800-522-4700 or visit ksgamblinghelp.com. Com in Kansas, 1-877-770-STOP in Louisiana. Visit mdgamblinghelp.org in Maryland. Visit 1-800-GAMBLER.NET in West Virginia or call 1-800-522-4700 in Wyoming. Hope is here. Visit gamblinghelplinema.org or call 800-327-5050-424-7 support in Massachusetts or call 1-877-8-HOPE. NY or text HOPE NY in New York.